pray. Father, thank you for all that you are for us in your Son, Jesus. Thank you that his buried body began to breathe. Thank you that you have begotten us again unto a living hope, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus, your Son, from the dead. And so for those in this room this morning or watching online this morning who may be losing hope, remind them of the living hope we have in and because of Jesus. Thank you for him. May he receive all the praise, all the honor, all the glory from all that is said and done this morning. And as we look now to your word, which points us to your son, Jesus, may you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts to love, hands and feet to obey, because we love the one who first loved us. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for singing. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. It is our privilege and honor to have with us this morning the Bible Memory Man. Tom Meyer, I've known Tom now personally for about 10 years, and he is a gifted man, he is a godly man, and I know God is going to use him this morning in our midst. So, Tom? Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, friends, I'd like to do three things. Number one, give a brief introduction to the book of Second Peter. Number two, speak the book of Second Peter from memory. Number three, with the time remaining, Don't worry, we'll be out on time. Number three, work verse by verse by verse through a section in chapter three, which instructs us how we should think, how we should practice, how then should we live as we wait for him to come back. Sound good? Second Peter was written somewhere around 66, 66 AD, a good generation, a good 30 years after the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel has already gone forth from Jerusalem, the fountainhead of the faith, a little bit south to Judea, then a little bit north to Samaria, and started to make its way into the uttermost parts of the earth. One of the reasons the gospel could spread like wildfire in the first century is the evangelists harnessed the modern technology of the day, that is to say, the Roman road system, the Roman road system. My family and I moved from California to Kentucky. And that took us five days in the car, because we have four kids, 10 and under, but five days in the car. But if we lived 150 years ago, it would have taken us five months or something like that in a covered wagon or whatever. So you could see, that, you know, even in our kind of time frame, we can see how technology has changed. So they harnessed that Roman road system by this time, 66 AD, according to church tradition. Thomas had already brought the gospel to India. Mark had already brought the gospel to North Africa. Paul had already brought the gospel deep into Roman territory, and therefore this newfound Christian faith is becoming a thorn in the flesh of the Roman Empire. At this time, your average Joe Blow Roman citizen, every Roman citizen, had to worship, when you paid your taxes, Caesar as the son of God. He was a rival son of God. And of course, the Christians aren't going to play that game, and there is going to be some contention and some enmity and some strife. Things are starting to boil over. Someone in the Roman government had a terrible idea. 
Nothing's changed. Arrested Peter. According to church tradition, then they crucified Peter at the corner of the equivalent of like 90 and 290, right at the main intersection, at the main route, going to the main place. So everybody and their mother could see, this is what happens to you people who won't obey the government and worship another god. Peter's in prison. He knows he's going to give up the ghost. And he writes this. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, patience godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it right, as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We made known unto the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place till the day dawn and the day star rise in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private genesis, for the prophecy did not come by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But there are false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with fiend words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, 
bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He condemned them, making them an overthrow, an example unto those that later should live ungodly. And he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, but to reserve the unjust unto the day of punishment. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of those things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling, Unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but <laughs> he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. They are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom is reserved the midst of darkness forever. For while they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that are clean escape from them that live in error. For while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage? For if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandments delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying... Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. But this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of person ought you to be? in all holy living and godliness, looking for, hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blemish. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of which some things are hard to be understood, <laughs> which they that are unlearned and unstable twist as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. But you therefore, beloved, seeing you've known these things before, beware lest you also be led away from the error of the wicked and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Chapters... Chapters first pop up in the Bible in the 13th century A.D. Then verses first pop up in the Bible in the 16th century A.D. around the advent of the printing press. So this is not what happened. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Write down verse 1. Okay, that's not what happened. So the chapters and the verses, they come in later. So chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Now, verses 1 and 2, 1 and 2 is the purpose of the epistle. Why did Peter write this letter? Verse number 1. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. Let's pause real quick. Obviously, first Peter is the first epistle. That adverb, now, I now write unto you. I think that Adver now infers that he's writing 2 Peter shortly after the ink of 1 Peter has dried. Why? Because he knows he's going to die. It's amazing what you can get done when you know you're going to meet God. We heard it back in chapter 1 when he says, knowing that shortly, that means like in Greek like any minute. Knowing that shortly, I must put off my tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Which is another way of saying John chapter 21 when the Lord Jesus told Peter how he would die. So he's in prison, in Rome, or Babylon, depending how you write or interpret that. This is the second one. He's writing it quickly. But he calls them his beloved. Who are these people he's writing to? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess, because First Peter puts these cities on a map. It's like the, what county is this? In? Cook. Oh, your taxes are horrible. <laughs> My dad lives in um, Maple Park, Elburn. He used to live in the Elburn area. And he had five acres. His taxes, just his taxes in Illinois, were over $20,000 a year. It's like, oh my goodness. Anyways, 
I'm sure you're getting your bangs worth. Okay. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. So where do these people live? Well, they lived in modern-day Turkey, biblical Asia Minor, in the county, that's why I asked, in the county or in the province of Galatia. So all these churches he's writing at are all up and down the equivalent of Highway 90. Boom, you know, Elgin, whatever, West Dundee, Algonquin, Schaumburg, dot, dot, dot. So all these churches are up and down the main route going to the main place. So the letter would have been original autograph. Peter, inspired by the Holy Ghost, would have been sent to one of those churches. They would have copied it in the presence of two or three witnesses, scribes, then make another copy, send it down Highway 90, boom, 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 to all those churches get it. So remember, this is post-haste because he's going to die. So this second epistle of it, I now write unto you. What's the purpose, the objective? He wants to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. What does that mean? Well, thanks for asking. When you think of pure minds, don't think of pure as the driven snow. Do you get snow here still? I used to live here. I lived in Lombard for 25 years. I know. But anyways, I, I'm used to it. Yes. Okay. Don't think of that. Don't think of pure without snow. Think of, think of sincere, dedicated, committed. Okay? So he's writing to people who are not what we would call a creaster. A creaster is a Christian who just goes to church on Christmas and Easter. Okay? He's not writing to these kind of people. He's writing to people who've got skin in the game. And these people don't have the privilege of padded pew and PowerPoint and hand sanitizer around every corner and gluten-free cupcakes and orange mocha frappuccinos and stuff like this. It's hot. It's dusty. It's bloody. It's illegal. It's persecuted. And it's on the run. But these people, they're in it. So this is who he's writing to specifically. Okay? And what does he want to do to those people? Stir up their minds or heart by way of remembrance. What does stir up mean? Well, it's the Greek word, deagario. It's not a frozen pizza. The deagario, okay? It means, let me paint a picture of what it means. Let's, we slept up there last night in that room up there. I did not hear Samuel, Samuel. I was waiting to hear something, but nothing came. Anyways, it's a nice room. But anyways, so let's say I was sleeping up there last night and I knew that the church was on fire. So I ran to Brandon's house, at two, Pastor Brandon's at two o'clock in the morning, won't answer the door, kick it down. Do you have a gun? Never mind. Anyways, <laughs> and I grab him and I say, wake up, wake up. That's kind of the oomph behind what Peter's getting at. So these believers who don't live in the world, you know, pad a pew, PowerPoint, hand sanitizer, orange mocha frappuccino, cookie world we live in, Okay, it's these people who've got skin in the game who it's hot in the kitchen. And do you know what? He's got to wake them up to the reality of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because these people aren't even thinking about it. Just like you don't even think about it. When's the last time you said to yourself, oh my goodness, what if he actually came today? No one even thinks like that anymore. You should, because he could. How does he do it? By way of remembrance. In other words, he's not teaching them any new doctrine. These are things they already know. Verse 2. Purpose that you notice, not Pastor Ken, not them, not your wife, your friend, you <laughs> may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets. Pause. In other words, the alarm clock to wake you out of your sleep or of your slumber to the imminent reality of the most important event in human history to come. <laughs> it's right in the first half of the Bible, right here, he says, that which was written by the prophets, the second coming. And if that wasn't enough, 
to master the Old Testament and what it has to say about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he also says at the end of verse 2, oh, and by the way, that which was written by the apostles. So at this time, as you know, they didn't have this part of the Bible like you do. They can go to Walmart and buy for 99 cents. They don't have it. They had parts of this in their church library. We heard that from the chapter 3, and they had this letter itself. So anyways, a working knowledge of the Word of God is what you need to wake yourself up to how close his return is. Now, verses 3 through 7. This is the fake news, the false view of the second coming. Verses 3 through 7. Knowing this first, pause real quick, that's a literary device. Peter uses to underline the importance of what's coming next. He does it at the end of chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, he says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private. Now, my tr- translation says interpretation. That's not the best rendering in 20... What are we in, 2023? Yeah. That's not the best rendering. The best rendering is like Genesis or origin. So no prophecy of the Scripture is no private origin. It comes from God, not man. That's the point. So when he says knowing this first, whatever's coming next is like all bold font caps kind of thing, okay? Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days. Pause. Are we living in the last days? (laughs) Of course you are. (laughs) Yeah, we're living. And technically speaking, you've been living in the last days the last 2,000 years. It's true. 1 John 2, 18. Little children. That's the people in the pew at Ephesus. Little children. It is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come. Or how about James? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So he's so close to coming back. His half-brother James pictures him as being on the other side of that door and the stairs right there. That's how quick he could enter into space-time history a second time. We don't even think like that. And when you don't think like that, it shows. When's the last time we ever even invited someone to church? You know what I'm saying? Let's go. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days. All right, we're there. Scoffers. What's a scoffer? A scoffer is someone who derides, who ridicules, who tears to shreds the doctrines and the teachings of the greatest importance. Like what? Like in six days the Lord made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is therein. Or, behold, the virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son. Or, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. These kind of things. A scoffer ridicules, mocks them, and tears them to shreds. So here's an example of their mocking or scoffing. Where is the promise of his coming? Pause. So they're not mocking the 2,000-year delay. And he said, behold, I'm coming quickly. So if you and I, you know, when we think of, like, I'll be there quickly. Well, it's been 2,000 years. (laughs) Okay? They're not mocking the delay. They're mocking the very notion. They're mocking the very idea that you live in a moral universe where there is a thus saith the Lord authoritative right and wrong and that God will one day supernaturally intervene into space-time history and judge wicked men. Those people out there don't want to hear that. (laughs) They mock at that idea. Ha! Now here's their logic. They say, well... Well, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. What does that mean? Well, whenever they say since the fathers fell asleep in the New Testament, it always means back to Adam. So they say, since Adam, all things 
have always been the same. In other words, it's a big new word I just learned called uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism. It means the slow, gradual decay that took 25 million years to cause the Grand Canyon. This kind of thing. Like, there's, they would say, there's no evidence that there's ever been a supernatural intervention into space-time history where God judged the world on a global scale. There never has been that. And therefore, there never will be. Even if there is a God. He's my homeboy, you know? Like, he would never do that. He would never cast those people into the lake of fire. See where I'm going? All right, well, let's continue then. But this they willingly are ignorant of. What's that mean? It means they have a Bible open and you have a Bible open. Did you read the verse? Yeah. Do you understand what the author is trying to say? Yeah. Do you believe it? No. That's the problem. It's not taking this at face value as the authoritative word of the living God. Which you should have came to Sunday school today because we did an awesome thing on Bible archaeology. It was really good. That showed again and again and again and again how the stones cry out that this, thy word, is truth. But what are they willingly ignorant of? This they willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God, now this is a little complex, I'm going to say it and unpack it. The heavens were of old, earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then being overflowed with water perished. The same means, the same mechanism that God used to create the heaven. Let me rephrase that. The same means Jesus used to create the heavens and the earth, namely his word, is the same means, the same mechanism he used to put an end, an abrupt, catastrophic end to the first of what he calls three worlds. Let's pause real quick. I have friends in, who are eyewitness. There's someone here. Who was the eyewitness I met yesterday at Mount St. Helens? Where are you? Him. He saw Mount St. Helens blow its top. My friend saw Mount St. Helens blow its top in 1980 or 81. And then they waited like a year for the lava and all the volcanic debris to cool. And then they took a sample, knowing it was one year old, and sent it to the experts. And the experts said, well, this sample is 250,000 years old. (laughs) I said, what? It's one year old. I saw it. In one day, Mount St. Helens in one day made a 140th to scale Grand Canyon. And one day, the earth is young, guys, because the Bible says it's young. It's true. It's a baby. It's only 6,000 years old. These catastrophic events, as you know, were eyewitnesses to them from 1980. They show you that these things are so. So the same means, the same mechanism he used to create, namely his word, is the same used to destroy that first of three worlds. What's that world that he destroyed? He calls it the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. The first world was from creation to the flood. If you let the Bible do the math and the chronology, from creation to flood, 1,656 years. That's it. That's world one. World three, which he mentions in verse number 13, that's when Jesus comes back a second time and his foot stands on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And when his kingdom comes and he literally, physically, bodily reigns from Jerusalem for a thousand years, Revelation 20, that's world three. But world two is verse seven. Anyone who has ever lived on God's green earth from the day Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, his three sons, wives, and his wife, from the day they walked out of that box, could you imagine being in a box for 371 straight days with your family? 
Anywho, to this very day lives in verse number seven. Everybody in verse number seven. Okay? What was the world? Why did he put an end to the first world? What was the world like before the flood? We don't have a lot of data, a lot of info. We have a snippet, as you know, in Genesis where it says, the imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. It was so bad that it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created. That's your God, people. He destroys wicked men. We know that. Then we know from Matthew 24 and 25 in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says the following, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Go ahead, Jesus, tell us what it was like before the flood. Men were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the flood came and took them all away. Huh? (laughs) Well, what's wrong with that? Who likes to eat? Be careful, it's a Baptist church. Who likes to drink? (laughs) Who likes being married? Who likes being given in marriage? What's the problem then if that's what it was like, Jesus? I think what he's getting at is all about me, 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 I, 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 eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and there's no room for God in people's hearts. Just walk down the street right there. I guarantee you 99% of the houses or whatever, they're home right now, getting ready to watch them some football because that's their God, the boob tube. It's true. So we're there. We're there. Well, go on. The heavens and the earth, which are now, got it from the day Noah and his family walked out of the ark. The heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, the word that created, are held together. The whole universe is held for a purpose. Well, what's the purpose? To supernaturally intervene one more time into space-time history and judge the world on a global scale again, not with water, but with fire. It's coming. You guys are doing great. We got 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 minutes left. That's it. Verses... 8 through 11 as we finish it. But beloved, there's that word again, the one near and dear to my heart. They love Peter and Peter loves them. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. What does that mean? Something along these lines. Like I said, these people live in a, live in a world where it's hot, dusty, bloody, illegal, and per- persecuted. And it's hard. It's hot in the kitchen. You want to go make Jesus an unavoidable issue in Elgin or something like that? Go ahead. You might be fed to the lions tonight, especially if you go into Chirac. That's Chicago. <laughs> You're going to die. You want to make Jesus an unavoidable issue? Go to some ultra-Orthodox Jewish neighborhood and wear a Yechudim Laman Yeshua, Jews for Jesus shirt in Skokie and start handing out gospel tracts that Jesus is the Son of God. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, I've been there and done that, but it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> okay? So these people are half-tempted to throw in the towel and give up because it's so hard to walk the line. But he's encouraging them, don't do it. Why? Because a thousand days with the Lord is like a year. Or, yeah. He's got his own plan. He's got his own schedule. You do your part, and you let him do his part. Why? Why should I trust him? Because, verse number nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. What does that mean? It means the following. And maybe the women will agree more. Men are liars. You need sworn statements, bonds, affidavits, lawyers. Why? Because I don't trust you to borrow a quarter of a million dollars for that down payment and pay me back. You can't trust people. That's the point. But there's more to the point, isn't there? But you can trust God's word. 
When God's word says something, it means it. For every first coming prophecy that came to pass in the Old Testament, do you know how many there are in the Old Testament for the second coming? Seven times as many. Like 2,000 statements in the Old Testament just about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he will return despite the mocking, despite the scoffing, despite the scorning, despite us not even thinking about it. (laughs) He shall return. Why hasn't he come back yet? I think he hints at it at the end of verse number 9 and 10 there when he says, because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, he's not done saving people in the proverbial ark of Christ. And that, of course, as you know, is something that angels don't do, but they desire to look into, but you do it. That's why we invite people to church. That's why you take gospel tracts out there with you and leave them with the tip. I know people who've been saved from the pits of hell by picking up a gospel track on the floor crumpled up in a movie theater. It's the power of the word of God, people. It doesn't matter if it's on a gospel track or in the King James Version Bible or whatever. But we got to do our part and start stepping up and inviting people to church. Why? Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. Even though it's long delayed, even you, you thought the China plague was bad. By the way, do you know how long it lasted? Very interesting. Do you know how long the coronavirus lasted? Interestingly enough, 42 months. Isn't that fascinating? Time, times, and half a time. Not, I'm not saying it means anything, but it's so fascinating that that's how long it lasted from the time it started until the WHO said, it's officially over. Fascinating. We've gone through the plague whoosh, around the world. It'll come back. Um, now there's war. Whoosh, rumors of war. Whoosh, you are on the precipice. I watch, it for two, I watch what's going on with Russia and Ukraine for two or three hours every day. I know it like nobody's business. And I'm telling you right now, you are on the cusp, the verge of a global war, a World War III. You really are. Most people don't even have any idea how close you are to everything going boom. The day of the Lord will come. And maybe he'll use events like that to carry it out. What does day of the Lord mean? Basically, it means the events in the book of Revelation. Okay? The day of the Lord will come. In other words, it's a certainty. Even though it's long delayed, even though people mock it and scorn it and no one thinks about it, all these things are going to come to pass. Just like they all came to pass at the first coming. How does the day of the Lord come? Like a thief in the night, suddenly unexpectedly, your worst nightmare, you're home alone, everything's great, two o'clock in the morning, uh uh-oh, there's a bad guy in the house. Put that on a global scale. And the the person whose name they mock and blaspheme all day, every day, and use his name in vain, oh, there he is coming in the sky to destroy them. The day of the Lord will come, like a thief in the night. What accompanies the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? The heavens will pass away with a great noise. That word for great noise in Greek is rosodon. It's used outside the pages of the Bible a lot, but not in the Bible, but outside the pages of the Bible. You guys are doing great. We have eight minutes. It uses the sound of a, an arrow to shoot someone and kill them. It uses the sound of a roaring, crackling fire that's going to burn down your home. It uses the sound of a killer snake to bite you and kill you. In other words, put all the sounds of horror, all the sounds of terror together. That's what it will sound like when he comes back. Probably what it sounded like at the flood. Can you imagine? When the Lord, boom, shut him in. And you know what probably happened next, right? Uh, Could you let us in now? (laughs) You know, 
too late. Heavens will pass away with great noise. Elements shall melt with fervent heat. That word for element in Greek means things that stand in a row, like an alphabet, like a periodic table, like everything he's holding together right now. When he's holding it together. But when he comes again, it says it will melt at the end of verse 10. A better, the Greek word is luo. It means to let loose or to unleash. So everything the Lord Jesus is holding together right now, when he comes back, he's just going to let it go. Destroy wicked men from off the earth. Cleanse it with fire. And start again when thy kingdom comes. Well, we don't want to end on that verse. <laughs> verse number 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. You brought nothing into this world, and it is certain you will carry nothing out. Everything you leave behind is, most of it's probably just pressed wood junk anyways, and gets good goodwill or garage sale or given to the kids or whatever. Ultimately, it's going to be consumed with fire. The day of the Lord will come as a, how does it go? No. Oh yeah, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Got it. What manner of person ought you to be in all holy living and godliness? Pause. Reminds me of my mama. My mom uh, was a believer, and she died a few years ago. She was young, super young. She was only 61. You know, she just started to see her grandkids and all these kind of things, and, and she was misdiagnosed. She was sick, and I'm sorry to inform you, Debbie, but you have stage four inoperable liver cancer, and you're going to be dead by Christmas. There's no getting around it. And they did their part. They sold the farm. They sold the hot rods, the cars, everything. Mayo Clinic, nothing, nothing, nothing. Now, even though she was a believer, she's not perfect, just like none of us are perfect. And when you know without a shadow of a doubt that any day between now and Christmas, I'm not telling you when, you're going to wake up in paradise, in his presence, there's no getting around it. Hopefully you do one thing, and you focus with laser focus, and you begin to make even more so, the greatest mark you can on the world for God's glory. You double down everything. You pray more. You love more. You serve more. You do everything more. Why? Because it could be any day, even for us, that he comes and takes us away. So how she acted those last few months, pedaled in the metal, served Jesus. That's how Peter's saying we should be living now. Why? Because he can come back today. And God forbid, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's truth. If there's anyone here today or watching who doesn't know if they're going to heaven or hell when they die, they can know. They can know without a shadow of a doubt based on the truth of your word that they're going to go to heaven if they believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And for those who believe that, that are here today or watching on TV, for those of us who believe it, Lord, may we double down our efforts to serve you. May we not be lazy. May we not be slothful. May we hear, well done, you good and faithful servant, enter into this kingdom which I prepared for you. And all God's people said...